0: This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you, thanks to using the Tomes, Amazon, and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the book club. The Tome is a DD news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Eric Pocket,
1: And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner, and in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style, and our book this time around is Spellstorm by Ed Greenwood, who we'll be who we will be speaking with later on in the episode.
0: Spellstorm is the sixth book in the Omnibus series and helps establish a bit of the Forgotten Realms after the Sunray. It is a bit of a classic mystery where you have a varied cast of eccentric characters stuck in an old haunted mansion, and you have to figure out who done it. And speaking of haunted, haunting us from the discussion is another Tom Show host, Jamie Tricasso of the Roundtable and Gamer to Gamer.
2: Hi, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. I'm pumped to talk a little L with you all.
1: Yeah, and, you, and you're coming with a whole different perspective, right? Because you. Um, you haven't read an an Elminster book in quite some time.
2: Yes. Yeah. In fact, I can't even remember the last (laughs) one I read, but it was, uh, I was not yet legally an adult. Oh, wow. So,
1: (laughs) yeah. Well, before we hop into the discussion, we should remind everybody about our great sponsor, Noble Knight. They are a brick and mortar game store and an online game store as well. They specialize in out of print products and also carry the latest and greatest. Our pick for this episode is Betrayal at House on the Hill. This is a board game that is different every time you play, and it deals with a classic haunted house mystery, not exactly like the story of Spellstorm, but not entirely different in its conceits. Check it out over at Noble Knight for $10 off the retail price, and be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you.
2: Hello! Hello,
1: citizens!
2: Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a Noble Knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well... You see, the beast he kidnapped, the mayor, and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Well, yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What?
3: Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot Anyway, only possible at noble knight. If you'd like to get your hands on noble knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode.
1: And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha! I got to do something to help out. All right, and now into Spellstorm. James, you're the new guy. What is Spellstorm about?
2: Uh, so Spellstorm is about a group of wizards uh, who are locked in a weird house. <coughs> where magic doesn't work well, uh, or sometimes at all, or sometimes malfunctions, or sometimes works perfectly. (laughs) And uh, it's very unpredictable. And they all want to get their hands on a uh, spell, or it seems like maybe a ritual or enchantment that allows a caster to cast infinite numbers of spells. Um, So they they never run out of resources. uh, It's a big deal for a wizard. Yeah, yeah, especially in the D&D world. Um, and they're all being judged by the host, uh, of this, uh, party and Elminster as to who is worthy to have the spell, but really there's a lot of other stuff going on underneath that, uh, and then people start dying, and it turns into a murder mystery. Um, it, it, I really, uh, I thought it was cool to, especially after reading so many Drizzt books and everything, uh, that this story was kind of all contained to one location for the most part. Mm. And and uh, pretty much one point of view for the most part, too. Um, so that was a, a neat little palate cleanser for me uh, after reading so many enormous books, especially the latest Drizzt book, which was a crazy war epic mm-hmm. and was all over the place. Well,
1: and, and it was honestly, uh, Spellstorm is a bit of a departure from what I've gotten used to seeing from Ed Greenwood on in the Elminster books as well. Mm. Uh, Eric, have you been reading the, have you read all of the previous Elminster books? Have you been sort of keeping up with the, that? The only book that I've read of Elminster was the previous one, the
0: last one for the Herald. Yeah. The last one. No, so that was my first. Uh, view of Minster, which I, which I en- was okay it Was, mm-hmm. you know, which I enjoyed uh, and Spellstorm I also found it was okay although I found it uh, a bit harder keeping track of who is who and especially with all of the uh, uh,
1: I read the book as a physical book mm-hmm. Jeff you listened to the uh- I listened to the audio book and James what did you do?
2: I also listened to the audiobook, okay. and okay. I also had trouble keeping track of characters <laughs> yeah um, I,
0: I, I was wondering because since uh, many of them end names that when written, they look very similar, but they could have been pronounced differently hmm. just able to i'm to find an audible version. that's why I was curious about that
1: yeah, and i i've had um I had a little bit less of a hard time keeping track of the names in this book compared to some others that we've even discussed on the book club. Um, and part of that was because there were plenty of characters that I didn't know, but there were, I'd say at least half of the people inside, so, you know, of the main sort of eccentric group that was trapped in the mansion. Um, I, I already knew at least enough about to, to know who they were and know how dramatically different they are from the other characters with similar names. And so no, having that bit of a head start, I think, helped me quite a bit in, in keeping up track. I mean, that's the trick with with a mystery story, right? Is that um, you have to be confusing enough to keep up the mystery, but not so confusing that people are just completely lost. And sometimes yeah. it, it's tough to find that balance. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, and especially when you write the way Ed Greenwood does, mm-hmm. I feel like it's very easy to lose track of things because uh, he's very wordy um, and he likes his talking head scenes and so it's it's hard to keep track with so many talking head scenes of who's this guy again? Okay, this guy's a vampire. Wait, is this guy? This guy's an archmage but and, uh, you know, and then the other thing is uh, Tracy isn't here so I'll say it. Uh, he's not great at writing women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, he, he tends to like uh, you know, I can probably think of maybe one or two well-rounded women, and there's a lot of them in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's like uh, you got your sexy women, and you've got your cold women. And that's kind of how he distinguishes them. Because
3: yeah,
0: mm.
2: yeah. Cause, yeah. You know,
0: there's about half, half the cast is men, and half the cast, well, I think mean, it's like six, five.
1: So it's pretty close. But yeah, no, it's although I found I found the if I don't know how well-rounded it is but I found the portrayal of Alasair the the ghost yeah um she's I thought one of the well-rounded yeah ones. I thought she was pretty yeah. interesting and because she's been introduced to us um several books back yeah. now um and so she's been, it's been established that she and actually if you want to go back far enough when she was introduced to us when she was alive before the big time jump in the realms um and becoming a ghost is how she is a character still um yeah. But I she had had ways to be able to develop the character over different. Well, yes and no, and I guess when she was alive, I felt like she had some some interesting places she was going, but never really quite got there. And then when she came back as a ghost, I thought she was, for the most part, she was a little bit one note, and so it was nice to actually to to get into this book and see that that um, she was a little more developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little more interesting in this book. So I was very pleased to see her. Okay. Yeah, no, she, I, I enjoyed there I uh, and all that. And
0: in the end, she gets, a, she asks, can I keep the body? I, I, I was, <laughs> sure, because of course, the, the actual official host, of, was the one who had lost Belle, uh, lost his mind
1: because of the fascinations of Manchun and uh, Sean. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and that's that's actually something that may be worth um, mentioning as well, because uh, there's a lot of story. Like James gave a very sort of quick overview, but there, being a, a mystery, oh, yeah, there's a ton. There's a ton. Um, and and honestly, the mystery and the lost spell that they were all trying to get to and all that is really the MacGuffin behind the whole point. Um, and and it was basically. So this this noble in Cormier comes out and starts saying, "Hey, I've found the lost spell. It's this thing that that James described earlier." And of course, every great wizard in in the world says, "Hey, that would be awesome." And so they all flock to to Cormier to get it. There's an incident. The guy survives, but is uh, the noble survives, but is left mindless, basically. Um, and they take him back to his his tower, his mansion, whatever you will, um, to sort of live out his days. But there's a spell storm around the tower that comes around every, you know, what is it, every month or something? I don't remember. I it, think it's it, every you know. ten years. Oh, okay, so it's it's further apart than that. So and I know it lasts ten days. Uh and magic doesn't really work and, and magic users that go into the spell storm face severe consequences and whatever. So all these these Great and powerful wizards all show up, and they're all trying to get into the tower, but they can't because the spellstorm is there. And then Mistra uh, speaks to Elminster and says, "Hey, you've got all these great wizards. the The world is sort of settling after the the sundering. I would like the wizards to come to come to some sort of understanding, some sort of set of rules that we can all agree to so that uh, magic is not left so chaotic and messed up as it has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, oh, and by the way, um, Manshun has this thing inside of his chest that he shouldn't have. Can you tear it out of him at some point? Yeah. You know? You know? <laughs> and so that's, re- so the, the lost spell is really just sort of, um, Mystra and Elminster's conceit to get all these wizards together so that Elminster can sort of try to guide them towards having some conversation about what, what they keep calling an accord, right? Reach an accord about how magical will, how, how we will deal with magic going forward. This is an Archmage conference. Right. Um, which is interesting as well because there are several of the the so-called called Archmages that show up that um, I've never heard of before and there's a whole bunch that I do know about that aren't there. <laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, they're not... There may be a representative sample of Archmages in the world, but they're certainly not... Um, they don't speak for all of them.
0: Yeah. Forgotten Realms does not have a circle or group like Greyhawk has a circle of eight,
1: right? Okay. Or, or like Dragonlance has the the three the different types of school. yeah, the three different schools. Yeah. So, so yeah, and and, and it, it's all, and I get the impression that like, did Mistra really want that? Did she not? There was actually some discussion through the the book about, for by Alminster, like so did she really want me to get them together to come up with an accord? Because that's not going to happen, and they're killing each other. <laughs> but right. maybe that was the point. Maybe Mr. just wanted me to get them together under the the guise or, or premise of, of reaching an accord. But really, if we just thinned out the ranks of Archmages, that wouldn't be a horrible thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And yeah. there was also
0: the possibility that it was a double layer, just so have uh-huh.
1: it for an excuse, for elements to get that spindle out of Manchu, and that was definitely part of it right because uh, yep. there, yeah it there was a spindle that was um had the part of the essence of mistral the original god of magic before right yeah you know and Mist the current mistra is like the third or fourth god goddess of magic um they keep dying and coming and being reborn you know as they do <laughs> Uh, and so that allowed Man Shun to be more powerful than he should be. I was actually pleased with um Man Shun's part in this as well. He, he's been playing up Man Shun quite a bit um, mm-hmm. since the fourth edition Elminster books. And and Man Shun also has come off not horribly interesting to me in a lot of those books. But he's starting, I felt like in this book, he started to be a little more interesting. Yeah. Um this whole he was at some point approached by Mistra to become one of her chosen like that's a big deal cuz he's one of the big villains of the world. Mm-hmm. Um but that sort of goes to the point about Mistra, right? She's not the good guy. She's the everybody should have magic guy. And if Manchun is out there making more magic, then that's a good way to get on Mistra's side.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I I really liked him too. Um you know, he was he was cool like you said the ghost uh, elf princess Alistair was cool. Um, She's not an elf. Oh, I'm sorry. She's human. <laughs> She's just a human princess. Right. Uh. <laughs> well,
1: at one point, steel regent.
2: Right, right. <laughs> uh, but I, I liked her. Um, you know, I like Mert. Uh, he's he's like classic. Uh, you know, and I think he's Mert, into- Mert
1: was the original Forgotten Realms character
2: Yeah, exactly And I think he's really interesting The way he has, he's grown and everything um, and One thing I thought was strange Is that Every time someone dies In this book Every time there's like a big like Oh no, this person is dead It's kind of shrugged off <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, Which was was fun Like it made it kind of feel like fun and light like a fun light murder mystery as opposed Mm -hmm. to like a serious heavy thing but it also did feel a little like like oh someone's just died and now we're hearing about Mert complain about the food he has to eat. You know, there's a lot of grumbling stomachs and people talking about, oh, we got to eat bland food to make sure it's not poison. Yeah, I,
1: c- I can't tell you how many times there was like some horrible attack just occurred or somebody just died and, oh, we got to hurry up and try to get to the kitchens. I'm hungry. Like, I don't know how many times they needed to get to the kitchens to have
2: food. <laughs>
0: like, well, that's, you know, that, that part re- reminded me of the clue to movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That,
0: that, yeah oh someone died oh they just rush off to somewhere else and <laughs> which was hilarious
1: yeah this i mean this, this book felt like it was one part um you know victorian um you know like a pride and prejudice one part uh sherlock holmes and one part clue and one part drift you know swirl, swirl all those together and throw an alminster and i kind of feel like that's what spellstorm was
2: yeah yeah in a nice Uh, You know, like I said, I really like that it's a nice self-contained kind of. It was great for somebody who had not read a lot of the previous Elminster stuff for it to be contained like this. I was
1: actually impressed um, with how much exposition he gave. Like, there were whole moments where it just felt like this character is asking Elminster about this other thing just so that Ed Greenwood could write an exposition explaining to us what's happened in the last several years of The Forgotten Realms. And and that's not usually the case. Usually, both he and other authors just sort of assume that you're up to date and move forward. And I felt like he went out of his way to to throw an exposition that explained sort of the current status quo. Yeah,
0: and even even uh, answered or did not answer about what causes sundering. Which yeah, was asked several times, even including on this show to uh, Greenwood, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and he just goes about saying that nobody really knows it could be this could be that right
1: so yeah no it was a very meta moment it's like oh well that's just the conversations that the that ed keeps having with people all over the internet you know so mm-hmm. he <laughs> just put it into a book said look we nobody knows it was a thing happened you know it's kind of uh, like the Mornland from eberron it's just always going to be yep this big thing happened you go ahead and fill in the blanks if you want now <laughs> Now Ed Greenwood can ask those questions and says, "Have you read Spellstorm?" Yeah. <laughs> the question is answered in Spellstorm, kind of. Yep. Right. right. <laughs> it just spells more Spellstorm book, which is like hey, cool. Yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. I also wondered if um, when they d- talked about the Sundering, they sort of talked about it as being the realm shaking event to end all realm shaking events. Um, this is the first book I've read that sort of feels like them living up to that because it's certainly not a realm-shaking event, right? Right. It, in, in fact, if anything, it's it's preventing a realm-shaking event. Like, if one of these people got the the lost spell, then that could be a big deal.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but ultimately, the lost spell was just the MacGuffin. Um, you know in theory there could have been some sort of a chord reach that could have you know had wide-ranging effects but that never really happened either mm-hmm. um you they killed a bunch of people but most of them weren't big players or even in some cases players as a realms fan that i even like had heard of before i don't i don't know if they're just too obscure for me or if i just uh, or if they were made up for the story um i
0: checked for several of the names that i looked looked like Camaralath, Terra, and all that on the FR weekend, and they were not showing up. So I'm assuming they were made up for Spellstorm.
1: Well, yeah, and, and that's tricky too because um, you know there's so much lore out there. <laughs> you know, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to know whether or not you know this was a bit character in some in some story way back in the day or whatever. But then again, um, the the fourth edition to, to current version of the realms most of those people from way back in the day and from all that lore shouldn't be around much anyway. So, yeah, you're probably right. I imagine most of them were made up. Although, in regards to realm-shaking event, there is a part at the
0: start where uh, Elminster is talking to uh, Alistair about his partners, Amarun and Storm, and he says, like, Storm will take somewhere, will take them somewhere to do something or other Realm shaking important. Right. Which – Oh, go ahead. There might be something else happening or might not. It's all minster. could be just asking very mysterious. I
1: I figured that was just another sort of uh, meta nod, right? That it was just them sort of saying, you know, there's always some sort of emergency going on and and they're just off doing this thing. So we don't have to worry about them right now. Yeah. Now there was one character that seemed familiar to me um, Alastra. the name Alastra was familiar to me and sh- and she was one of the characters who died mm. um, or like she was the early one that they kind of set up to die right because they were that she was the one that l sort of implied in front of everybody else that she's probably gonna get the the lost spell. she's probably gonna be the one that they give it to. and so she shows up dead of course. Um, but I, so she's, that's a name that I recognize, um, but I'm having a hard time placing why I know that name. Yeah.
0: I just looked on the FR wiki and Alastra does not show up. Yeah, and
1: I checked the FR wiki myself, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So either she is, you're familiar from some of the or she hasn't showed up yet to the wiki. So.
1: Which is, I mean, either one is possible. Yeah. hmm I, I when I do a Google search, I, I keep coming up with Alastra Hathwinter, the Nightcloak, um, which
2: could be her, but I don't. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell for me. Yeah,
1: I don't recall off the top of my head who she is. <laughs> and no, nobody's got information anywhere that I can find. So, so yeah, so I, di- I just didn't feel like they killed off any any really big characters. If I, my guess is that Alastra is the biggest character who died because it's the only one I recognize the name of, but. I can't place. Um, if they'd have killed, uh, you know, Manchun, or if they'd have killed or uh, Harpell, that mm-hmm. that would have been a bigger deal, right? Or any of the the people working with Elminster. Yeah. But yeah. hasn't Manchun died several times already? It's something he does. Yeah. <laughs> as he as he as he says
0: in, in the book, that if he dies, he has a bunch of other clones that will wake up with in instructions what to do.
2: Yeah,
1: he's been he's been doing that since second edition. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Which is cool. That's a cool villain thing. You yeah. know?
1: Well, in fact, it was a whole thing. There was, there was a storyline. I don't remember what the, the series was, and I don't think I read it, um, but I remember the storyline. There was this whole storyline where something goofy happened with the magic, and a bunch of Manshoons all woke up at once, and, and they went to war with each other mm-hmm. over control of, of the interim. at the time. Well, that's the issue with having many clones. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now he's a vampire, and so that's weird, too. Um, I suppose yeah. that's just the the explanation as to how he survived the the hundred year time jump. But yeah,
0: he's I a mean, vampire, I... but not quite because he doesn't have all the weaknesses or all the powers of a vampire.
1: Yeah, well, he's just a yeah, power, yeah. powerful vampire with lots of magic, right? Yeah. Large <laughs> mage, so... right.
2: Yeah, I mean, it seems like. Uh... Ed Greenwood is happy to and he can do this as the creator of the realms, right He seems happy to bend the rules of D and d to suit the story, uh, which is great um you know i I think that's a that's a great way to read something all of that being said, I will say when when this book right doesn't feel like playing D and d. Um, because one, because Elminster is just so powerful and the things that he does are, are things that kind of a character would never do. Um, you know, or at least not until twentieth level. Well and and, and
1: and if I can interrupt for a moment. Oh, sure, go ahead. um he makes a point that through the previous novel, he has sort of surpassed everybody. Like, if people right. complained about Elminster being the superhero of the realms, and that's why they don't like playing in it, he certainly hasn't fixed that. Because now he's running around like, you know, you're all great archmages, but I'm above that now. I'm a weave master. I don't even have to worry about all that. I can m- directly manipulate the weave itself without having to deal with, you know, spells and magic. Really?
0: Really? Yeah. On top of that, he has Mistra on speed dial.
2: Right, right. Yeah, that's a, like she's just – he's got a mental connection to her and everything. So it well, is, although it's th-
1: weird. I, although that was interesting because um, he he's not the only one, right? Because there's this implication that, well, he, sure, he's working for Mistra, but he acknowledges himself that that she's more than likely manipulating him <laughs> uh, because she's also talking to Manshoon. And you know, and that she will have people on opposite sides of the of things, you know, the people that hate each other or whatever, and she's manipulating everybody equally, you know? Or maybe not equally, but she's she's got her, her fingers in a lot of pots.
2: So yeah.
1: yeah. Anyway, James, you were saying.
2: Oh yeah, so I just think when when something does become D and D esque, when they when they do mention something that rings as like, oh yeah, that's a rule within the game, or that's a spell I recognize, uh, it almost uh, is feels discordant within the story a little bit. You know, mm. um, I don't I don't know if anybody else feels that way. Like when I'm when I'm reading about Drizzt and and that kind of thing, and it pops up, it doesn't ring as discordant to me as it does here uh, because. You know, he's taken liberties with the way vampires work and with the way uh, spell casting and and all kinds of other things work, um, which he can do because it's it's his world, right? He can do whatever he wants, and he's an author, and he should be able to take those liberties. Uh, you know, if everybody acted exactly the same, it'd be a pretty boring story. So,
1: sure, I'll, I, I, although I don't, I don't, I didn't have that experience with being sort of jolted out of the story by by things being recognizable. Mm-hmm. um that's good did you well and i'm curious what what do you have any examples that you can think of uh i mean yes. i can I can think of times when things came up like when they when the the wizards first got access to the the tower right the first thing man Shun did was was sort of scrabble try to scrabble up the side of it because werewolves have or uh vampires have spider climb mm-hmm. and it didn't work of course because magic is broken and so that was you know hilarious yeah um, <laughs> but that didn't like take me out of it that just like oh look funny joke you know and i I
2: like that you know what it is it's whenever they're talking about what the lost spell does and they're talking about like running out of spells Uh, it just seemed to me like like in my game I don't think of it as like, oh, you ran out of spells. That's kind of the, the mechanics behind it. It's more like the wizard is too exhausted and his mental abilities are taxed. And like, you know, so if they said like the lost spell gives you unending stamina or something, that kind uh, of thing. See,
1: that's because uh, I think Ed is going back to the original sort of Vancean uh, storytelling description of how magic works in, in Jack Vance's books. That is what they use for D&D. Um, so it's actually st- that concept started as an as a story in a novel, but so, and, yeah. and, and then D and D picked it up, and so he's just he's just continuing that forward. Right. And, and now, now it's we, just
2: snake eating its tail. Yeah, now so. we
1: so associate it with the game that we don't recognize that it actually has its roots outside of the game. You
2: know? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I did like that. Uh, you know, I I thought I was not going to like it at first when, uh, you know, the first few chapters. It's like okay, we get it. They're talking. <laughs> There's a lot of people sitting at tables talking to each other, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot of descriptions of people waiting in lines at buffets, chatting it up. Um, and I thought like, oh man, this is going to be, is, is this this whole book? <laughs> uh, and then probably about a quarter of the way in, the first body falls and uh and it gets real interesting from there. Um, well,
1: and and that's why I said when I was breaking down the different parts the, of the story, that's the part that feels like uh I'm reading pride and prejudice to me, right? Yep. Um it it's a bunch of people sitting around talking and and things are kind of happening but nothing too big and exciting and and, and even the way the manner with which they speak and the level of politeness that they have and it's sure we're all going to kill each other over this thing, but there's no reason we can't have a nice cordial meal and you know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. But that and was part
1: I, of the humor of the whole thing too. The humor through through the book, I thought, was pretty good. I loved it when they all finally got into the tower after this, you know, Mistra part of the spellstorm for them or whatever momentarily, so they could get in. They all finally get into the tower and they they rush in the door because they're going to search for the lost spell. And, and there's Elminster just waiting for them in the in the lobby or whatever. <laughs> and like, what are you doing here? He's, uh, clearly, you're after it too, or you know where the lost bell is, or whatever, right? And he's like, "Oh no, no, no! I've uh, I'm retiring from archmajory, and now I'm going to be the steward of this random noble and Cormier, you know." <laughs> and he just sort of sticks to that story. It's yeah. sort of a running joke through the whole thing. Oh no, I've retired from archmajory. <laughs> okay. Eric, thoughts? We haven't heard from you in a while.
0: Uh, it was. Uh, uh, one thing that's interesting for the physical book too, is the fact that there is a there's a map of Old Spires where the whole thing takes place, with, with where the front entrance and all the all the stuff that's mentioned. So, oh, that's cool. So, from a if uh, from Guinea's perspective, if you want a running game in Old Spires, well, with the book you have a map. You can play with it. And
1: and even if you're not going to use it in an adventure or whatever, it'd still be interesting to to see as you're reading the book, right? Exactly.
0: And you can go to it and reference, oh, that's happening right
1: here. And this is
0: happening there. and pe- Try to piece clues of what's happening and stuff like that. One thing I found in the book for mystery-wise, it was hard to find any clues that led to uh, to the to who the murderers mm. are because it was several murderers right
1: yeah no it wasn't um it wasn't a traditional mystery in as much as if you're paying very careful attention you'll figure out who where the clues are and, and who the culprit is or or what the, the the answer to the big mystery is or whatever right um, you just sort of have to sit back and watch it all unfold yes. um
2: yeah. And so, some are obvious and some are less obvious, and some happen on camera and some don't, you know? It's interesting. Well,
1: and honestly, I, I felt like for the first what three-fourths at least of the book they didn't really care who the the villain was right <laughs> like oh people are dying well we figured that was gonna happen eventually oh well who wants some mutton you know <laughs> so so there was not a lot of like investigation as to who what was going on or who was doing it until it got to a point that it was getting either particularly bad or they were raising people as undead or um there were what armies like that that that's where the map actually would have been useful it's like oh my gosh there is a portal that's opened up for, by a bunch of liches that are trying to get in now and there's some sort of army of people that have snuck in as well because it turns out the spellstorm only stops wizards from getting in you know fighters and thieves can walk through it just fine <laughs> and they, didn't, they didn't think about that for the most of the time they were in there um and and meanwhile, they're just they're still running around the whole place. And It's like how how big is this place that there's like an army of people running around inside, and they're just like avoiding them. Like, oh, <laughs> let's figure out if we can get to the kitchen without bumping into these guys. You know, yeah. <laughs> so well, looking at the map, it's a pretty huge place. Is it okay?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, for on the, for the legend, there are sixty nine different rooms. Oh wow.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Although, although that army brings up some interesting... Um, I, I like it when he plays with the realities of being in this magical world, right? Um, because we oftentimes take that for granted. Like, the world is different. The realms isn't Earth, right? It's not our world. And, and people are used to that. So the things that we think of as being fantastic is sort of everyday life. Uh, and so when the army shows up and they're like... Uh, and Manshun is able to completely like confuse them. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm really this guy that you're here to serve. I've shapeshifted for a reason. Just believe me. Right? And and that's a very real possibility that they have to then go with, right? Mm-hmm. He he's he's able to confuse them and convince them that he's actually their master, shapeshifted into Manshun. And so I like when they when they acknowledge the the that reality and the, the basic assumptions of life are different. Um, you know that they're not surprised no nah, nobody would why would you change into you know that's so unusual or rare for people to, to change into each other mm, not when your employer is an archmage yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah that's true yeah that's a good point
1: all right we're 30 minutes in we've still got an interview with ed greenwood any last thoughts on spellstorm
2: Uh, You know, overall, uh, I was glad that I jumped into this book. I think it's a pretty decent book, actually, if you need to jump on somewhere in the Elminster series, and you've been curious. This gives you a great look at Elminster. It gives you a great look at how Ed Greenwood likes to write, I think. Um, But it's also a small, self-contained story. Uh, The characters are a little hard to keep track of, but it's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun reading this book. Like you said, Jeff, it's funny. It it reminded me of Clue quite a bit, uh, especially at the end when they're breaking it all down about how, mm-hmm. and then this happened, and then this, and then this, you know? So, um uh and and they, it certainly and, and sets they,
1: things and, up. And they do break it all down. You know, that's one of the things I really liked. The exposition that explains sort of the world, uh, and, and the current sort of status quo and the sundering and all that, but also like they break it all down, like, oh, there's this big mystery, and let me tell you exactly how it happened, without necessarily just saying, Hey, let me tell you exactly how it happened, right? Right. Um I I like getting to the end and being have and knowing what happened and not feeling stupid for not have, being able to figure it out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's you almost you get the feeling Ed Greenwood wrote the book to write that scene, almost. <laughs> he was like, I'm gonna have a lot of fun with this and it's great. It's great. Yeah.
0: No, it was a fun silly run through of a most yeah, felt a lot like Clue in the Wild Zany running around, crazy stuff happening in this big huge keep. Mm-hmm. And Al-Sair gets now has a male body that she's <laughs> control about in the, in, the, in the real world, rather than just being a ghost. But she still yeah. has her ghost
1: powers. She's going to use it to, to show all the nobles of Cormier how nobles should behave, right? Isn't that the idea? Yes. Yeah.
0: So Lord, <laughs> so Lord Halot is still going to be showing the true way of being Cormarian. Right.
1: Because I'm sure that'll
0: work. Yes. <laughs>
1: Nobles of Cormier are well-known for uh, learning their lessons and, and straightening up their their path. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now, I found this book to be um, – it, it's weird because on one hand, it is really not indicative of a typical D&D story, of a typical Elminster Ed Greenwood story. Uh, the writing style is very much Ed Greenwood, but the the story is much smaller in scope, as James mentioned. Um, and so, on on some hand, it's just a very different story than what you expect when you go and do a D and D book. On the other hand, I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of my favorite Elminster books. Um, if nothing else, because things, I felt like things were very clear and I understood everything that that happened by the end. Uh, and I that, I haven't always felt that way with an Elminster book before. There are sometimes when I get to the end of it, it's like, wait a minute, so so what happened here, or where's that going, or how did that. Occur because he keeps so many moving parts, and you got so many unreliable, different unreliable narrators. That sometimes I think there's just parts that you miss and you never find out. But because he kept one narrator throughout pretty much the whole thing, mm-hmm. and went out of his way to give some of that exposition and explanation, I felt like I was on board and I knew what was going on, uh, and and it was fun and it was funny, um, but it wasn't you know a, a a crazy blow-em-up wizard fight right it was let's take a bunch of really powerful wizards and then put them in a place where they can't use magic you know and see what happens <laughs> so i think it's definitely worth checking out i agree all right then i guess we're done talking about it and we're gonna toss on over to eric and jeff that's me and and this guy uh talking to ed greenwood
0: we are here now with Ed Greenwood, creator of the realms, and author of
1: Spellstorm. Welcome back, Ed.
3: Hi, thank you.
1: So, Ed, our traditional sort of opening question when we talk to authors is, uh, Spellstorm, as concrete or esoteric as you want to be, what is it about?
3: Spellstorm is a country house murder mystery set in the Forgotten Realms. So, like the board game Clue for American game fans and like all of those murder mysteries in which somebody's stuck in a stately home in the countryside and the weather has come in the fog or something and nobody can enter or leave. So the murderer has to be one of us for all the murder mystery reading fans. That's the sort of book this is, except that's not all it is because it's set in the realms. It's after the Herald. since therefore it's after most of the sundering has played out It's set in rural Cormier, all sorts of powerful wizards, including Elminster. No revelation there. But a lot of blasts from the past people, like Melkor Harpel and people like that. And then, of course, a lot of people who aren't wizards, like, well, Mert. And a certain ghost of a certain princess and other people are all together in this mansion trying to get along. And the spellstorm of the title... Is a storm that means if you walk out into it, you can stride right through it. But if you happen to be an arcane spellcaster, in other words, somebody who has the art, magic, you will probably be feeble-minded by the spellstorm. And after this is sort of demonstrated, uh, people uh, uh, want to stay put.
1: The spellstorm is really the the device that keeps them all put, uh, stay staying put, without hurling spells at each other the whole time.
3: Yeah, because they can't trust their spells. The spells go random, or they go wrong, um, or they boomerang, or they they harm them. So they are going to use them only in absolute desperation. In other words, they are going to have to behave like normal people, ha-ha, and get along with all these other people in this crumbling old house that this crazy noble lured them all to. Quite legitimately, he thought he had the lost spell, and he was going to auction it to the highest bidder because... He's in need of funds, which is why the house is crumbling. But things go wrong, as things have a way of doing in Mm -hmm. in Realms novels. (laughs) And there you go. That's it in a nutshell. That's the capsule. But it's not, I'm not really worried about um, solving a murder mystery. And I'm not really worried about sending armies marching across the realms. I'm interested in exploring what it is like to be a powerful wizard who suddenly can't rely on their power. And there are a lot of important people here or self-important people. One of the two who are part of power groups in the realms. And we learn a lot of things in passing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, just so you know, this is a book club episode. We are assuming anybody listening has either read the book or does not care about spoilers. So, so feel free to, to go as crazy as you want. Um, and, and ultimately the, the lost spell itself is really the MacGuffin to bring all these, these wizards together. Um, and that Mistra has another plan, um, yes. but it is ambiguous. Like she tells Elminster, this is the plan. Um, but by the way, also do this other thing, get the spindle out of Manshoon and, you know, part way through it, Elminster's like, "Well, yeah, that's what she told me, but maybe that's just what I needed to know." <laughs> you know, is, is it possible she just wanted them all killed off, or wanted them all to kill each other, or whatever? Uh, so, what, what, what is Mister trying to do here?
3: I, it is difficult for any mortal to know for sure <laughs> what game a deity is playing.
1: Luckily, we have you, and you're yes. not just any mortal.
3: <laughs> okay, well, um, from my estimation. What Mr. wants to do here is she's trying to take the first steps. She knows it's an almost impossible game, okay? Um, to make these people who are arrogant, who have, are survivors, all of them, who are... Well, some powerful. of them more
1: so than others, right? Well, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah it's
3: but I mean, to get here this long, they are the sort of people that we call, in quotation marks, survivors. As in, they do what they need to do to stay alive and come out on top. Their scruples have largely been laid by the wayside years, sometimes centuries ago. And they're powerful in their art. And she wants them to try and start to get along with each other rather than fighting all the time. And she wants to make or break. In other words, the people who will start to, quote, behave themselves, you know, to take this from a modern real world small C Christian It'd be nice if you behaved yourself, you know, the way that in earlier generations, disapproving school marms and um, teachers would say to people, um, they will survive. And if they don't, well, better off dead anyway, As she, in her estimation, because she is looking at the realms ahead and the fact that there have been far too many swaggering, overblown, using magic as a great big stick. And of course, that's always been the thing about the realms from the very beginning of of it of it as a setting. Before there was a D and D game, it is um, a it was a high magic world from the beginning. But it was a the reason I wanted it high magic is something that came along later in Larry Niven's uh, The Magic Goes Away. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that, and, and I don't want to spoil that classic story for anybody. But the the whole point is. The fact that there are wizards around is what keeps the brutes, the barbarians swinging swords, the king who can assemble the largest army from just crushing everybody in their path. Because it isn't just the sword and the strong right arm that rules. It isn't might makes right because there are all these crazy people running around you can use magic on you. And of course in the D&D game, that's everywhere. I mean, it tends to get... Human- humanocentric, so we tend to emphasize the you know the wizards, um, but you know dryads, um, all sorts of fae can use magic on you. Dragons, you know the counterpoint of the the rock bottom of the game, counterpoint to the humans, can use powerful magic. So it's sort of like no, there's this countervailing force against the the brute and the sword, the 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 crushing boot of the tyrant, and what's happening here is. Mr. wants to get some of the wizards who have tended to behave like tyrants themselves to either shape up or, well, if they bite it, oh well, no loss because they were becoming more of a problem than anything. And she's also trying to see what these people are really like when they're tested to see if some of them could be recruited to serve her more closely and also to see if People like Elminster still have it.
1: <laughs> uh, he retired from archmajory.
3: Yes. Didn't you read yeah. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think Mister got the memo. <laughs> I, th- I think it's one of those. I think it's like try- trying to retire from being a secret agent. Yeah. You can retire when you're dead. Yeah. You know. You may think you can retire. You know. But, but like, he's just he's a just a
1: house steward now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the butler. Yeah, that was one of my favorite lines of the whole thing. Oh no, no, no I'm retired. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> well, you know, I was going to have fun. I was, just, I was actually, you know, i um, channeling uh, Ian Richardson there, doing the original House of Cards, the British one. Um, okay. Like, I was doing the. Oh yes, I think. Well, I'll just um, tell you, I'm retired. You know. <laughs> but yeah, um, this this is like most of my more recent books, is character-driven.
1: Yeah, uh, and, although I would say that this is, uh, in many ways, a much sort of closer, smaller story than even the previous books, right? Um, the previous books were more, maybe more character-driven, but with big events going on.
3: Oh, yeah, of uh, necessity, with, with the, the Sundering. Um, right. And the, the Sage of Shadowdale books, which were, okay, what's it like to live through the Sundering? And at the same time, You see, when I'm writing a realms novel, there's three things going on. There's, okay, what will tell a good story up front? And by that, I mean the simple bones of the story. The stuff that can be put in two lines on the back cover. You know, that tells you, this is what this book is. Then there's the two secret shopping lists. Mine and wizards. And in the old days, it was TSR. And the secret shopping list is, okay, here are the things we need you to mention or cover or... Check, um, name check or whatever mm-hmm. in this book, Ed. You know, you need to tell us what the Zentrism are doing in this area. We need to check in with Manchun or whatever. You know,
1: was that sort of the, where the exposition and I mean, there was a lot of exposition in this story, just sort of catching us up to date, sort of as to where things were and, and a- asking the question, what caused the sundering? You sort of had, had that meta conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that sort of, uh, was that c- c- from the wizard's um, grocery list there?
3: A bit of it was from them and a bit of it was from me yeah. because I wanted you to see, here's the thinking that people on the ground in the realms have about it. They, you know, remember, when you're, when you're hearing these conversations, some of those people might be lying or they might be mistaken. Right. It might just be their way of seeing it. In the same way that two or three different people, particularly two or three people of a different political bent, can see the same incident and interpret it completely differently. You know, like, one person can say, oh, what a what a marvelous peacemaker. That, that should get the Nobel Prize. And then another person say, what a weakling! He gave in to the, you know, <laughs> foreign powers, or whatever, you know. And they're seeing this, the exact same thing happen. They're just reacting differently to it. Well, in the same way, there are some things here that you have to take with a, a heaping teaspoonful of salt. Because, as we may later learn, in other realms novels or adventures perhaps written by other people maybe some of these things either were mistaken or they turned out differently with you know you can go into things with the shining motives and not see the unforeseen consequences down the road or something and you know that's life and that's the sort of richness and complexity and room for interpretation i need the realms to have so it feels alive and so it's really useful to dungeon masters at their gaming table rather than it being oh here's the set storyline we can't deviate this is what happens this is the only thing that happens there should be tons of room in there for a dungeon master to invent adventures or twist adventures that are published into what fits their campaign so that they're Player characters and the players running those player characters have a lot of agency to do as they as they please. You know, you you can play through Rage of Dragons or or one of the later storylines, and you could do all sorts of things that aren't sort of in the straight ahead script of the square jawed noble hero. Particularly the square jawed noble hero who just goes, Oh, follow carrot. Mm-hmm. Hit carrot with big stick. Ha, new enemy, hit. You know.
1: And yeah, and, and you, So you keep that ambiguity, and that's one of the strengths of the realms as a campaign world. One of the criticisms that people act on it, uh, oftentimes have of the realms is that there's these characters that act as superheroes, right? And Al Minster is, of course, uh, usually towards the top of that list. Uh, and I don't know that he's less of a superhero now that he's what he referred to as a Weavemaster, right? It, it, now it's like he's, he's more powerful than all other archmages anywhere.
3: He is and he isn't. What he's super powerful in is fighting against other wizards. He's like the original Encantatrix. Remember when I came up with a character class, the Encantatrix? They are super good against other wizards. Because they can pull the rug out from underneath them. Because they're using the weave. But using the weave is like calling on the natural forces of the world that are rushing around us constantly. And... It really is, you know, using an elephant gun on a mosquito at times. (laughs) And it's also, everything has consequences. You know, the old, old saying, which I've had come out of Elminster's mouth a time or two, but has come out of the mouth of Gandalf, of Merlin, and, and, you know, the essence of being a wizard is knowing when not to use your power, when not to do, because the youngsters, they hurl fireballs and you know, this, that, and the other thing, and lightning bolts. And they don't care about the consequences. And the older you get, and the more you see, the more you realize that you shouldn't roll that fireball if you can it. All help not to. And, of course, that's some of what we see in, this, in Spellstorm. Some of the people inside that mansion are sort of biting their tongues and holding their fire, you know, and keeping their powder dry because they can think, oh, I might need that later. And I don't want people to know I can do that. And, oh, well, it might not be a good idea to do this. And what if I mistake it? It's the old dilemma. If you have the death penalty and you hang people right and left, how many innocent people do you want to kill? Because there will be a time when you realize, oh, we killed an innocent person. Well, you can't unhang them. Yes, in D&D, you can probably raise them from the dead, but that's another thing. But, I mean, in the same way, um, there are consequences to everything. And there's a lot of backpedaling. To those people who say that you know Alminster is a superhero, I would say, oh, g- g- you can play any character and any non-player character and any monster any way you want in your campaign. But you know, if you were asking me how to role-play Alminster, I'd say you're playing him wrong. If he's a superhero, he he should be largely unknown and unseen by the average citizen, and he should be the completely annoying old man who yeah. <laughs> can do whimsical things. Um. Um, Nicole Williamson's portrayal of Merlin in the movie Excalibur is a perfect example because, you know, that scene at the beginning where Arthur pulls the sword from the stone. He says, Merlin? Who's Merlin? And this man who's been walking out of the camera focus straight towards the camera for the last five minutes says, I am Merlin. You know, and in we go. And then he wanders off again. You know, he's not... Um, yeah, running what? around being the "I'm going to save Gotham City" type guy. He's Wh- just not doing that.
1: Whenever Elminster shows up in my campaigns, which isn't often, but whenever he does, it usually is accompanied by groans from the players. Not like, "Yeah, he's going to save us." You know? It's like, uh oh. <laughs> Mostly but, they just they just hate the way how annoying he is. The way I role play him. So. Well, sure. an, a meddler.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes,
3: he is. And in the in the home realm campaign, he quite often was the. Um, Last ditch dungeon master, save the asses of stupid players. You know,
1: I believe Eric has some questions about food, he really wants to know how to, how to play Mart. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in the book, they constantly talk about,
0: and then while eating all that, there's, there's meals. Anytime that there's gonna be some recipes, either just realms stuff or the earth equivalent of those recipes available.
3: Ah uh, yes, there's a lot of um, unpublished realms lore, um, including entire recipes um, that I, I have worked on for years, and there will probably be they'll probably be sneaking out somehow. For some reason, um, the folks at Wizards seem to have an aversion to publishing my recipes. I used to sneak some of them into those various web columns, and those were always the columns that the editor said, "Nah, I think we won't run this one." It was like, you guys don't you know, and because I'd say things like you know it's not really dragon substitute pork or whatever, you know, um so they would they would work as recipes, I think they were afraid you know somebody would poison themselves somewhere in the world, and you know they'd get blamed um but people but yeah, people the, publish cookbooks like that's not not a
1: thing you know?
3: yeah <laughs> so. yeah it's it, it, yeah it's it, it's happened before, right, maybe even twice, you know um and, and in fact i i can still remember i'm old enough to remember when the joy of cooking had all the squirrel recipes in it. Mm. yum yeah squirrel on a stick um squirrel on a coat hanger because they were metal in those days you, Oh, never mind let <laughs> me not go there but yeah i i do in fact work out the cuisine and always have done because i had players in my home realms campaign who actually liked to make some of the stuff we had long play sessions up at my cottage twice a year and then they would um or rather, on two days a year, and they would cook some of the realm's dishes, and we'd sit around all day eating and playing. So, I mean, yeah, the, there are indeed recipes behind all these things. When and how I can get them into print, <laughs> I might even have to put them on the realm's secretariat or something. But again, mm-hmm. something like that has to be checked with wizards. I have to see if it's okay with them. I don't want to do anything to to sour our working relationship, just sure. you know, because I wanted to put a recipe out because. Well. It it really isn't that, you know, it's not important enough to derail something really good um, for the sake of, you know, getting the recipe out there. But yeah, rest assured, they are um, all legit dishes in that I've worked them out. And even if I can't publish official recipes, um, I'm sure the the hooded one can leak some stuff at Candlekeep. Mm -hmm. You know, if not a full recipe, then a, um, a couple of lines of, of how to prepare a dish. In the yeah. same way that somebody can tell you how to fry chicken without giving you the formal recipe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or how to scramble eggs. I mean, it, no. how, many, how many times have you found an actual detailed recipe of how to make scrambled eggs? Not often. <laughs> yeah. People just assume that you know how to do it or your grandma or your mother will show you how to do it and you'll magically know how to scramble eggs. And they, they run off on this great recipe about, you know, here's how to have chicken fried mushroom scrambled eggs. And you say, you scramble eggs normally, except, and you go, eh. And so if you're a, a bachelor or those, the student leaving home for the first time to go to university, there was a great um, book published a few years back called, Help! My Apartment Has a Kitchen. <laughs> and it was all about you know, people away from home for the first time who hadn't the foggiest of how to cook for themselves, but they were getting real hungry. You know, (laughs) and maybe there wasn't a golden arches right within reach and they had to learn to... So yeah, there are recipes behind all that stuff. But the other thing I did not want to do um, was do anything in this book that might be construed by somebody who didn't like the pacing as padding. In the same way that there are lots of people who love reading in Game of Thrones, the books, all about the food descriptions... And there are other people that drives them nuts. Yep. Probably because they're reading on, a, on an empty stomach. But <laughs> but I, I did not want to do that. I wanted to keep this book moving along. Because if we stop and go into that sort of detail, you've got this fascinating cast of characters right sitting in front of you. And you probably like to spend that word count, that, that face time, those those sentence times, finding out more about the back history of Manchun or, or some of those other bad villains mm-hmm. who are powerful wizards and what they've been up to.
1: Well, and, and on a similar note to both of those topics, um, food seemed to be kind of a big deal <laughs> through the book. Like there were times where it's like, Oh my gosh, we discovered this thing and it could be in the end of all of us. Now let's see if we can figure out a way to sneak back to the kitchen. Cause I'm hungry.
3: Yes. Well, also, <laughs> also for the, for the good guys, the kitchen becomes somewhat of their refuge. Sure. Um, because for a little while there, they they regard it, perhaps wrongly, as a defensible area. And it has the um, short-term benefit of being a defensible area with food and water in it. <laughs> so it's sort of like, if the castle's besieged, we can hold on to this little bit of it. The, or so they think. Mm. And of course, if you look at the map of the um, house, which... Which doesn't
1: audio- come is- with the audiobook.
3: It doesn't no, oh dear, mm-hmm. but it
1: comes with a physical book, so yeah, <laughs> Eric enjoyed it, and I had no idea what the, what the place looked like,
3: oh yeah, and it is quite complicated, I mean, I only drew the ground floor i am I'm sure they redrew it so that it's much better than my original, but I mean, I only drew the ground floor um and I got away with that by talking about what the sellers were like, and then saying the upper floor was largely collapsed hmm. and falling apart. which well was and, and I
1: knew it, and I knew it had to be big because there's like a, a, a squad running around in there, and they just sort of avoid it
3: you yes. know, for long
1: periods of time. It's like, well what are the, what are these people doing the whole time?
3: Well, you see some stately homes, if you visit the few relatively few surviving stately homes. Um, some of them are laid out in a very simple way, a box or uh, a cruciform. So there's one long central set of passages or hallway and you, or gallery, whatever they call it in the individual house. And you can't really hide from people other than by keeping ahead of them going from room to room. But there are others that, uh, particularly ones that lasted for a long period of time and were built and rebuilt and added on to umpteen times, where it's really like a train wreck. Buildings, uh, you know, rooms open into into um, courtyards that are open to the sky. They open to other rooms, and there's doors all the way around the courtyard. So suddenly somebody bounds out through a door, and you chase them. And you come out into the courtyard, and it's empty. And there are 12 doors they could have gone through.
1: So so when you say stately, uh, you know, manor, you're talking like Hampton Court Palace. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
3: Hampton, Hampton Court is actually um, – both a perfect example and a, and a really bad one okay. because um, Hampton Court sprawls over a huge area. Because well, it's it, perfect
1: for me because I was just there last year. So. Okay.
3: <laughs> well, th- then, you, then you know what I'm talking right. about. Um, you know between the, um, the river landing do- docks, the, the giant grapevine, you know, mm-hmm. the, the indoor tennis court, the maze, you know, there are all these things that it sprawls out into that could be used in a story. But that wasn't the game I was playing here because of the encircling spellstorm. But the important thing about that particular palace is most of the main linking er, uh, routes are on the ground floor. I mean, you don't get to see many of the underground passages. For one thing, they're not generally very safe anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of the above the ground floor... Don't connect from side to side there were there were separate buildings built up three or four floors, and then another mm-hmm. one three or four floors behind beside it, mm-hmm. and then joined on the ground floor, which might have huge lofty cavernous ceilings. It may look big and huge, but you can't actually move through on anything but set the ground floor and this ruined house in in or semi ruined house in spellstorm is the same way, okay. Which is a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, yeah, you can get lost in this house. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be a cool thing like a dungeon. But at the same time, a lot of dungeons we go through, I mean, you look at them and say, that's really cool. But nobody would ever have built it like that. Or, geez, a huge underground stronghold inhabited by dwarves and defended against, you know, Svirfneblin or Durgar or whatever. Where do they go to the bathroom? There are no bathrooms there. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> stuff like that. So I, I wanted it to be logical, but I also wanted it to be huge and sprawling, and therefore people could run and hide. I see. So um, there's a lot of
1: characters in the story. Mm-hmm. And, a huge cast. and, and, and I would say – well, I mean it, on, on some – to some degree, it's a huge cast of characters. To, to another degree, it's a much smaller cast of characters than most of your previous bugs because um, there's no, you know, large armies and big factions um, doing this, that and whatever.
3: Yes. And um, y- yeah, you start to realize, um, although there's quite a few people to kept, keep track of, you start to realize that by and large, there's not going to be anybody bopping in and out. You right. Know? No door is going to open, and somebody you've never seen before, or servant number five hundred and forty six is not going to step in and say, my Lord, there seems to have been a murder next door right. you know because there's just nobody else in the house
1: well, and you don't have uh, storylines that like you know the, oh, was the herald there were storylines in completely different parts of the world, and and they all sort of had to tie together at some point and figure out how it all how it all worked and all that, uh, whereas this was much more contained um, that said. I would say there's a good number of characters that I knew. There's a handful of characters that sounded familiar, and there's several characters that I'd never heard of before. Um, So so I'm curious, how many of these characters were pulled from previous lore, and how many of them were completely made up for this story?
3: Of the major magic-using hurling people who are in the mansion, I believe three are new to this story. Three are made up. And they are of, um, like, the, two of them are elders of Nimbril okay? Um, so we already knew where they came from and the fact that we already knew beforehand that Nimbril had elders and that they were magically powerful, but we'd ha- never actually been introduced to them, knew their names or, or what their power dynamics were amongst them. Everybody else in that book is an old-time root realms character however many of them haven't been emphasized in the published realms so i'm sure that my home my players in the original realms campaign sitting at home or if jeff grubb sat down and read this novel with my original turnover notes beside him i'm i doubt very much he would do that but i mean (laughs) if he did that he would go ah finally after X number of years, you finally got to sneak that person into a book, and, you know. But I mean, uh, there are only three, as far as I know, whole cloth made up characters who are in the mansion. Four, if you count the noble.
1: And, and who are the, who are the ones that are made up then?
3: Uh, the two elders of Nimbril um, and the member of the Twisted Rune. Okay. The female member, of the Twisted Rune, that
1: came from Netheril, that was a prisoner there.
3: Yes, right, okay. and the okay. others have all been mentioned. Um, some of them in the Volo's guides, just in passing. Some of them in the original, very early Rome stuff. And uh, for instance, Melkor Harpel. You know, probably uh, except for mentions in in Bob Salvatore's novels, we probably haven't really seen him since the old Gray Box, the original mm-hmm. Rome's box set.
1: But he's one of so, the ones I knew, right? Because of Bob's books. Yeah,
3: yeah, and and that's the thing. I th- these are. These are, by and large, all characters I created and almost all long, long ago. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think everybody in the book is a character I created initially, but I mean, some of them haven't been picked up and used for 30, 40 years. And that was deliberate. I wanted to ground the book in the old, uh, as well as having new stuff happening, because it's sort of like, each new realms book of this sort is not stepping into the past, it's latest this is what's going on right now in the realms but at the same time because we had a hundred year jump and we had a dislocation we had lots of things change Mm -hmm. we have a lot of people who are realms fans who would whatever happened to or can you tell me what um we were just sort of left hanging with that and of course that's the very thing that we don't have the time space word count to fill in sure. for every single character. But if we can hint at things or give them something they can use to say, ah, okay, I get it. They must have lived and had children because, look, here's somebody else with the same surname, X number of generations together. Okay, mm-hmm. good, good, good. Um, and so it's a little something to sort of make you feel that you're in the same world. Not, this is a new or different world just with the name Forgotten Realms plastered across the top of a Dymo tape. No, 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 this is the same world. You're just seeing it at a little, at a later stage, and it also raises the stakes. It makes it more, you know, the, some of these people you're going to see the end of their lives and their very long lives, and they've been up to lots of things, and you're going to see plans frustrated, and you're also going to see people. And once again, I'm I'm exploring that that thing that I was exploring with Elminster for the last little while. What happens if you're old and tired, really old and tired, and you just want to let go? Mm. Do you, it, do you lie down and die, or do you try and settle scores? Do you try and finish your bucket list, or do mm-hmm. you try and take the maximum number of people with you? You know,
1: <laughs> and you say that that uh, it raises the stakes a bit to have all these these known and established characters in, in involved in the situation. Uh, that said, it seems that none of the what I would call a list characters ended up dead.
3: Right? You- oh, <laughs> who, who, I, I wouldn't say that. Who, who's an A list
1: character who died? <clears throat>
3: we're well, assuming
1: people I, have read the book, so
3: if 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 I say their names, then I'll be confirming that they were an A list character. And the <laughs> duty for the for your realms is that your dungeon master decides who's really going to shine or not. I see, and it's sort of, and then there's the old thing of you know the greatest living trombone player. We'll never know because he got run over by a bus before he could play the trombone and that sort of thing. (laughs) We will never know what was going on in the background. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. If I have enough novels in the future to write about things, then once again, you will see the long arm of consequences come out as in, Oh, this happened because somebody didn't make it out of that mansion alive. If only, you know, so, so, and, and that's a game that any dungeon master can play, but yes, I, Okay. I will grant your point. Um, I could have done a lot more damage to my cast of characters. But on the other hand, I do not want to be the guy who writes a book that is big and important because he kills everybody in sight. Hmm. Because each character I bring to life and then swipe off the board is a character I've snatched away from Dungeon Master's. Although or, you could
1: kill Manchun and, and not really, there's not much risk there, right?
3: Well, that's true.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, are Manchun's clones also vampires or would he come back as a human?
3: Uh, it depends which clone you're talking oh, about. Okay. <laughs> one clone is a vampire. You see, there, 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 are, there are many, many, many differing opinions as to how many clones are left. You, you will hear the party line many times, particularly from, you know, Realms designers Oh, <laughs> that, that's all over with. There's only the one. Really? And every time you read one of my novels, there's another one popping up, because that's the thing about stasis clones. Well, and that's you know, and if, there's... He, and,
1: and if he did that once, why wouldn't he keep doing it?
3: Ah, <laughs> <years ago>. <laughs> he's had
1: a hundred
0: years.
3: Yes, and and again, the thing is, each stasis clone only knows what happened when it was created. So there are stasis clones that don't know that there are other stasis clones. Now, <laughs> when they get close enough, they'll start going mad and being you know in the usual way. But but when they first are activated they have no idea because their memory ends at the time they were created so yeah there's all this stuff going on and we have i i'm not finished with Manchun, as you can see and it was richard lee Byers who made the joke in my father's house there are many manchuns. and i, I think that's a a, <laughs> a phrase to live by or die by in the realms never count Manchun out for the people who said oh yeah he turned into such a wimp because fazool beat him and so on no he stepped back because he was tired of being the target. Well, on if top any, of the throne.
1: if anything, I would say that in this book, Manchun, um, the post spell plague Manchun, became interesting to me again.
3: Because he, you got to see more sides of him than the mustache twirling. Yeah. Gold. Yeah, yeah he he
1: was just sort of a stereotypical villain for for the last several books, and then all of a sudden this time it's like, oh well, actually he was approached by Mistra, and there's this Spindle thing, and and he's not just the bad guy, and yeah, he he became more interesting.
3: And that's the that's the thing too. You can see Mistra looking around, saying, "Okay, Elminster is my tried and true. Elminster's my, um, you know, in in the body shop, he's the mechanic." who steps in whenever anybody else screws up because he knows everything. He's been there forever. You know, he's, he's the cigar chomping, leathery, um, Oh, you young whippersnappers. Let me fix this (laughs) sort of thing. But you can see that she's looking around and she may need other sorts of champions and they may not. I mean, she's got these seven sisters. These seven sisters were the ones that her predecessor birthed because she couldn't find good chosen, that didn't burn out under the pressure. So she had to make some. But the problem with them is, aside from Dove being, um, what you might say, a confirmed avoider of using magic, you know, preferring her muscles, preferring to be a fighter type, um, they're all cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. So they have the same strengths and the same weaknesses. So she's looking around for maybe I need a different sort of weapon. Maybe I need another different arrow in the quiver. So, and maybe Manchun will be it. But of course, there's the problem. Is Manchun going to play along? Because there's, is, does his self interest trump his, I can get this many powers by serving Mistra? You know, I can pretend to serve her, I can serve her only this much. In the meantime, I'll have all these superpowers.
1: Well, and both Bob and Aaron are exploring the idea that, well, just because you're a chosen doesn't mean that you have to agree with it, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So he could very well be a Chosen whether he likes it or not.
3: Oh, sure. But now here's the other thing. Um, In the Sundering, it is made clear to the gods that, you know, if the tablets are, you know, um, unwritten or to be rewritten, then they're all trying to for a massive power grab. Mm. And the way to um, get more power is to have more mortal worshippers and to do more... um, things that frighten, awe, and impress people or that are more beneficial to them so you are perceived as more powerful than the next deity. And the way to do that is to get plenty of chosen. But, of course, some of the chosen that we see in The Sundering are just normal kids. Some of them are, you know, your local village bumpkin, but they're now suddenly a chosen. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to work out. I mean, how many James Bond movies have you seen over the years where – all the other secret agents working for the same side that James Bond, they they all bite it before the end of the movie. They're dying right, left, and center, and he makes it through. Well, in the same way, there are many chosen here who might not make it through or who are not fighting types. You can be a chosen of Eldath or chosen of Sylvanus. and to serve your deity, your nurturing nature, you're not going out and smiting people, but... And therefore, Mistra, Ma- who is, is this, this new Mistra is feeling her way. And one of the things that she obviously doesn't want to be is as much under the thumb and influence of Elminster as her predecessor. Mm-hmm. I mean, she likes Elminster, she respects Elminster, but she doesn't want to sleep with Elminster. Right. It's a different dynamic. It's, it's like, no, let, let, let's change this relationship. And part of that is seeing how Kelvin turned out. And for that matter, how various other chosen, Samaster for for example, mm-hmm. haven't exactly worked out the way we want it. So she's trying different things. And there, you can be you can serve Mistra without being a chosen per se. You can make your separate piece to you use the phrase. And if you look back to the Magister and, and um uh, Secrets of the Magister, the, the second edition source book I did. There's a, there's a few pages there on the servitors of Mistra, who are um, various beings who have gone beyond their mortal lifespan and serve Mistra and exist, or continue to exist partially through the weave, and they're not chosen, and they're not the magister themselves, the, the person bearing the title Magister. they're just the various servitors of Mistra. Some of those have survived. So there could be other ways to serve Mistra. and that's the other thing. I, I, because I I do want to get away from people thinking that everybody has a chosen. Chosen are superhero champions, and therefore your player characters cannot be, become the the mightiest or do things unless they become chosen or kill off all the chosen. Because that to me is like uh, that that stunts. A role-playing campaign so terribly to to be measuring yourself against these these weird chosen because the chosen to become a chosen might be a curse it might ruin your life and it might force you to do all sorts of things you don't want to do and it might not be heroic at all depending on who you're chosen of and depending on if you were chosen of melander or tolona let's go around to give people diseases <laughs> You'd be like that that character from the DC comics, infectious lass. You know. It it, it might not be the, the classical hero. And that's something again, I want to explore all this stuff in the books because it's it's exploring what it is to be an adventurer.
1: Well, I have monopolized most of your time in this conversation. I want to give Eric a chance to uh to ask anything that he might have before we uh you need to to part ways. So, Eric, did Eric. you have anything else?
3: Eric, ask me anything. Yes. You said you, you said
1: on Twitter anything, right?
3: Yeah. No.
0: Well, I have already asked my question, and also, also, you dealt a bit when you were talking about uh, old spires. You talked a bit about more your inspiration about it. So, those were two things I was interested about.
3: So. Yeah, and by the way, for old spires, um, I did not. That is not the floor plan of any. Real stately home. Okay. I, I made it up by looking through the floor plans of hundreds of stately homes and remembering ones I'd visited and saying, wouldn't it be cool if we had a, yeah, okay, we'll they have a big entry hall, you know, and stuff like that. So I, I drew it, cobbled it together. So that is not, you can't go to a real place in the world and say, oh, this is Greenwood's Old Spires. No, 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 no. It's made up. <laughs>
1: But Although, by all means, if you
3: want to go to England and visit all the stately homes, it would be a great thing to do. Say if, you,
1: if you get enough contracts from Wizards, maybe someday up in Canada, there will be an Old Spires, right?
3: I would love to build a <laughs> mansion. I would love – except mine would probably end up looking a little bit more like the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> no, no, but I mean um, I, I would love to have secret passages. You just hand
1: your map over to, uh, to the architect and say, here, I want this. Figure out how to make it happen.
3: Yeah, I want a dumbwaiter. You know, I want all that cool stuff. <laughs> I want the I want the shiny pole so I can get from my bedroom right down to the ground floor right away. All that cool stuff. You bet. Um, hydroponics, um, sunhouse garden indoors, and I've always wanted a cupola right up top. That I can sit in and read books.
1: All right. Well, before we get too much into what you want, because that can get into dangerous territory. Yes, it can.
3: <laughs>
1: How about uh, you tell us where we, you want us to send people? What should, pe- what, what should people be looking out for from Ed Greenwood? Where should people be going to find out more about Ed Greenwood? Or what else do you want us to know about this book?
3: Ooh. OK. Well, OK.
1: All that. All those questions. Go.
3: There is another Realms novel coming up after this one, and it is very different. And you won't see it till 2016. And even if I get run over by a bus tomorrow, it will appear because it's finished, okay? So, and I can't tell you anything else about it except Elminster's in it. Oh, and Mert's in it.
1: Can you tell us the title? Bob told us the title of his next one. I can't.
3: Oh, okay. Because (laughs)
1: Because Wizards might change it.
3: I got an email today from Wizards suggesting a title change, Okay. <laughs> which I agreed to, but I mean, that doesn't mean that it won't change again. For sure. Um, let me just say that uh, various titles have been applied to it. And, and that's normal for a, a novel. It has a working title. And then it has a, a more formal title when I get to the end and hand it in. And then the fun starts. Mm-hmm. Because there's a part of me that, that wants to come up with those one of those wonderful titles that says "In which lords and ladies um, discover some new things." You know, one of those titles that covers the whole. You know, and then there are people at Wizards who want to actually sell the book, sell this book yeah. in the real world, <laughs> and would like it to be something that people could um, pronounce and remember and walk into the store and ask for. So they've of course always wanted shorter. You know, and and. I, I have these hilarious conversations where I say, why don't we just call it book? You know, It's, <laughs> so, go, cute. it's
1: so cute that you think people are still buying books in stores. Hey, <laughs> I'm from
3: Canada. We have to buy books in stores yes. because we can't buy them any other way. <laughs> but yes, um, uh, well, actually, we can buy them other ways, and, and that, that leads to my next thing. I do write books outside the realms, always have done. Um, in June, Spellstorm came out. The same week, my first steampunk novel came out from Tor called The Iron Assassin. Completely different. Okay? A fun gas lamp fantasy. A romp. Okay? So if you want your airships and your twirling mustaches, The Iron Assassin. I'm also working on a whole bunch of cool new things for the future. And if people go to theedverse.com, and the the important thing to remember about The Edverse is there are two E's. There's an uh well there's more than two e's but there's two e's in a row where the word the and the word ed join together without any spaces there are they both have e's there and then that will probably lead you to office@greenwood.com and that also has two e's where uh, for office and the first e of ed joined together um so if you're doing those they will both lead you to some of my grand new projects which are all about tons and tons of books and games ...in new settings, and there are a lot of people coming aboard to have fun with me in those settings, and I can't really say anything else at this time. Besides, I don't want to rain rain on the parade of Spellstorm, which is, you know, another chance to romp in the realms. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that um, folks should know is that I created the Forgotten Realms when I was very young. I was a little kid in short pants, and I've been writing about the realms ever since... And I'm now 56 years old, which means although I've been really busy with a day job in the real world and writing about the realms and answering everybody's realms floor questions and, and designing games for the realms, that means I've had lots and lots of years, over 50 years of going, oh, I've got this other cute idea. It's about a haunted baseball team. That can't go in the realms. Okay, I'll just jot it down here and spike it. And stuff has been building up for all those years. Other cool ideas I'd like to get to sometime. And the other thing is, um, as I watch my grave rush towards me, you know, it's easy when you're 20 years old to think you're going to live forever. I mean, you know you won't because, you know, one of the things that usually happens when you're young is you attend a lot of family funerals and you know people don't live forever, but you sort of think, ah, it doesn't apply to me. It's a long way off yet. But as you get older, you start to think, ah, it's not so far away anymore. Well, that means. I want to get some of my pet projects done before I go. As in, I don't want to have never, ever even started them. Mm -hmm. I want to get them going. Some of them may fall flat in their faces. Some of them may not be popular. Uh, Never mind. They're things I want to do. And they're also things I want to explore as a writer. So I can try different styles. I can write in different settings. It isn't always the same old, same old. And you may have noticed um, over the past two years, I've been... Um, I've practically become the living stretch goal for Kickstarters. (laughs) And a lot of those things haven't been game stuffs so much as they've been short stories set in all sorts of different worlds. Science fictional, fantasy, horror, pulp. I'm trying everything because I want a chance to spread my wings and write everything. And that's some of the stuff you'll see coming up. So remember, theadverse.com which will lead you to office at greenwood.com and will lead you to all sorts of cooler things. But, that does not mean I'm saying goodbye to the realms. Realms forever! And, and all those other, you know, ale, beer, and like <laughs> wines for all. A chicken in every basket.
1: And uh, are we going to see um, audiobooks of the, the new things that are coming out?
3: Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes! And um, audiobooks with I'm hoping a, I'm a global breach.
1: Okay, because I'm a doctoral student these days, and if I can't get it in audio, I probably don't have time to read it. So.
3: Oh, well, okay. You see, here's what you have to do. You have to become, I, I, I hate to say this to you, please don't take it personally. You have to become the George W. Bush of students. Oh, I don't read anything that's handed to me. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah yes, do listen to the dulcet tones. That, I would, and the one thing I, I'm probably going to regret is that I'm probably not going to have time to record all of my audiobooks myself. Because no. I would love to because that's something I I love doing the funny voices and I love doing the narration. I've always said
1: love. you should do the the Realms ones too, but
3: I should. Yeah. I keep suggesting to <laughs> Wizards and somehow it's always somebody else. Hmm. And 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 sometimes I, I just cringe because there, there was one book in which the narrator called the goddess of magic maestra all the way through the, ah, you know, but, but no, I, um, I have also had my outside the realms books in the past, you know, my, my, Aglerta novels and, uh, the dark Lord series done by, um, Blackstone audio and brilliance respectively. And they hired very good character actors who, who called me up and, Read through every single character name and word that they weren't sure of for me to say back to them over the phone while they were recording it so they could get everything right. And I'm having listened to some of those, I think the reader's in very good hands, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, the one thing I've started to learn is I can't be everywhere and I can't do everything. And that's actually something I started to learn way back in 1986 when the realms fell into TSR's hands and everybody started working on it. Mm-hmm. I can't be everywhere and do everything. And if you're a gamer of a certain age, like my age, you remember acutely that one of the horrible drawbacks that Gary Gygax was facing is that he couldn't... He was the bottleneck. Right. We kept waiting for the Dungeon Master's Guide. And then we were waiting for Castle Greyhawk... Because he couldn't run the company, come up with all these cool new things, and write the products he wanted to write to bring Greyhawk to us. And in the same way, um, that was a potential problem, which of course was overcome when everybody pitched in on the realms. So I was no longer the bottleneck. And I don't want to become that again, and that's one of the reasons why you probably won't hear me doing all my own audiobooks, because I could spend... 24 hours a day just doing that and I do have you know a life and a real world job and, and I, I can hear a, a chopper a medical chopper coming overhead so obviously somebody else is having a real life at the moment mm. Um so I mean that, that I'm acutely aware that I can't treat fans that way we some things can be kept hanging but you okay. don't want to keep people waiting too long and you know, waiting in frustration. That, as I said earlier, at some point we all die. And it, presumably when I die, um, my voice will fall silent rather abruptly. But I do not want my settings to fall silent because everybody who's become a fan of the realms or of any of the other um, settings I've come up with, Castle Morn, or, or, they don't want it to end just because I'm not there. So we have to keep things going. So that's one of the reasons I'm trying to kick off all this new stuff and get it rolling. And the the beauty of the new projects is, like the realms, there are a lot of other people working on them with me. So if I'm busy or if I'm sidelined or if I'm gone from the scene, don't worry, there are other voices carrying on. So you get nobody snatches the world away from you.
1: Very good. Well, we've heard all about it and if people want to check it out, they can go over to theedverse.com uh and that'll link you over from the menu there to to the office of ed greenwood and find out all about all those things right
3: yes yes very good it will be fun it will be cool and by the way if you like mysteries and you don't know anything about the realms spellstorm still works if you like fantasy stories and you don't really know anything about the realms don't worry spellstorm still works (laughs) there
1: you go so people
3: should check out spellstorm is what you're saying Huh. Yeah, yeah, because, hey, you know, um, it's it's never, There's no, there are so many good Realms novels, you shouldn't miss any one of them. Mine um, mine are just one of them. I always tell everybody to rush out and read Aaron's new novel, hmm. you know, because that's what I'm waiting to read. But, yeah, you shouldn't miss Spellstar. If you think, oh, I don't want to read another thing about Elminster, don't worry. There's lots of other people getting killed in this <laughs>
1: book. Oh. <laughs> very good, very good. Well... Ed, thank you for coming on once again. We will be sure to, to talk to you again when uh, Mystery Book of the Future of 2016 comes out, huh?
3: Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, boy, there's some fun scenes in that book. I had so much fun writing that. And I can't tell you. About... Oh, I, okay. Let me just drop one more tidbit. Okay. In that book, there are some iconic D&D monsters. There you go. Okay. That was a real spoiler. <laughs>
2: Orcs. Got it. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, 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 no. Cannot, cannot let more words pass lips. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, thanks for coming on.
3: Okay, thanks.
0: And that's the end of this episode of
1: Tom Show Book Club. I want to say thank you to James Intercaso for joining us. Thank you, James.
2: Thank you for having me on, guys. This was a blast.
1: People can find more of James over at worldbuilderblog.me as well as on the Roundtable and gamer to gamer on this here podcast feed. I also want to thank Ed Greenwood for joining us, and you can find out more from him over at, uh, was it theedverse.com now? Uh, And, of course, we want to thank Noble Knight and our listeners for using the affiliate links at Amazon and D&D Classics for helping make this show possible.
0: We would like to hear from you. You can contact us through email at tomeshow at gmail.com or to our biz line at 919 biz tone. That's B-I-Z-T-O-M-E.
1: Oh, Zed. <laughs> Zed. <laughs> and you can find show notes from this show and other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com. That is our thoughts on Spellstorm. We will be back next month reading Grindle by John Gardner. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites.
3: I'm on the
0: wall.